All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Daily Faceoff Podcast comes courtesy of the Nation Network. Here's your host. Brock Segan with Dylan D. Berthium and Michael Beebs Bondi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 6, Episode 2 of the Daily Faceoff Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Segan. A little bit different show this week, uh, and probably for the next couple of weeks throughout the offseason, I'm going to be doing a show with beat reporters from around the NHL. Uh, these episodes will be released every Thursday morning. And uh, I'll talk to these reporters just to get their feels for projected lines, power plays, goalie platoons, and everything in between. Uh, Being around the teams, the coaches every day should provide a little extra insight uh, on these teams and help you make some informed decisions on draft day come December. Uh, This week, we're going to start with Jesse Granger from the Athletic Vegas, and I'll finish the episode with Bagged Milk from Oilers Nation. I had originally planned to do uh, three reporters this week. Uh, and talk to Mark Sheik about the Columbus Blue Jackets, but we've pushed that one back till next week, uh, where I will focus on two or three Eastern Conference teams. So today we're going to focus on the Vegas Golden Knights uh, and their offseason moves, primarily Alex Petrangelo, uh, also their goaltending situation, now that Marc-Andre Fleury has remained with the team. And then we're going to wrap the show up with some Oilers talk, their goaltending situation, which obviously isn't quite as good, uh, and just kind of some of their offseason moves, bringing in Tyson Berry, Clef Baum's injury, and uh, Kyle Turris as well. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this new format for the offseason uh, and enjoy the show. All right, we are here with Jesse Granger of The Athletic Vegas. How's it going, Jesse? Pretty good. How are you? 
I'm good. Uh, hockey's just around the corner. Feels like it just ended. And then we had a couple exciting weeks and now it's just around the corner again. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Vegas Golden Knights with you. Obviously, um, one of the most interesting things heading into fantasy hockey coming up in 2021 here in January is whether or not Alex Petrangelo moving to the Vegas Golden Knights is going to help or hurt his fantasy value. Uh, we saw how effective Shea Theodore was uh, you know, under Pete DeBoer, especially throughout the postseason. It's going to be very interesting how they manage having both those stars on their team. How do you think this shakes out with Theodore and Petrangelo? Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to watch. Uh, you mentioned the Pete DeBoer effect. And the first question I asked Alex after he signed with the Golden Knights was, how excited are you to work under a coach like Pete DeBoer that has a history of getting the most out of offensive defensemen? Um, you look at, I mean, even back to his days in New Jersey, like he really got offense from his blue line there, but more so in San Jose, uh, Brett Burns and, and Eric Carlson for a small stint. And then obviously the explosion of Shea Theodore since Pete DeBoer took over here in Vegas. And I think uh, Petrangelo is excited for it. And I think there are some spots in his game where DeBoer can maybe make him a little even more active than he was in St. Louis. But where I do think they may both get hurt a little bit is the fact that Shea Theodore didn't come off the ice uh, during the power play last year because he was really their only option. I mean, Nate Schmidt can kind of do it for you, sort of, but he's not a driver of offense. He's just kind of a passenger on that power play. Whereas Shea Theodore is the quarterback. He played, I think, 70% of the minutes on the power play. And it felt, honestly, covering the team, it felt like 70% is a low number. Like, it felt even higher than that. And Petrangelo, I think, was around 66 to 70 in St. In St. Louis. So that's clearly not going to continue. They're going to split those up and, and both of their power play minutes are going to go down. But I do think that maybe that won't affect their total numbers that much just because they're going to be playing with such a good power play unit, uh, whether they're on the first or the second. Um, the Golden Knights are, as, assuming they're healthy, they're going to have a really stacked uh, power play. So assuming it's better than it was last year, which I think it will be, um, I think they're both going to have major, major production. And, and like I said, you can see ways that maybe they could both slip a little, but I could also see ways that they both go up. Yeah, so if you look at it last year, under DeBoer, uh, Theodore averaged 2 minutes and 56 seconds on the power play uh, per night, 123 for Schmidt. So obviously he was eating up a ton of minutes. But then if you look at Petrangelo, he's a guy that's averaged uh, close to 3 minutes on the power play throughout his career. So there's got to be some wiggle room here for both these guys. Do you think it's more going to be uh, like, this is Petrangelo's unit. This is Theodore's unit. One, a one B type of thing, kind of ride the hot hand type of thing. I honestly expect them to maybe both play on the top unit. Um, I could see that. And the golden Knights have kind of gone away from the three, two power play. Uh, they've gone more four one, but again, that was because they, they had one defenseman that they were really, really comfortable up there. And that was Shea Theodore. So why not use your forwards when you have more of them? But now that they have two, I could see them having Theodore and Petrangelo out there for kind of both units. Like they did with Theodore last year, where you guys are out there with the first unit. And then when the first unit changes, you guys don't necessarily have to change. Maybe if, especially if you've kind of just been standing up along the blue line, not wasting energy, just have them both stay out there. And then if one of them needs to change, if you're tired, if you're the guy that's been chasing the puck back, maybe make the change. But I don't think it's going to be as uh, simple as like Petrangelo's the power play one and Theodore's the power play two. Just leave them both out there and let them both go to work. Do it. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, Theodore did it on his own last year. If, if he's got Petrangelo next to him, I don't see why he couldn't be able to do it again. Absolutely. So that's good. I shed some insight on Theodore and Petrangelo. I think I was personally like, Ooh, I don't know if this is going to help Petrangelo at all. It might hurt him if anything, but if they're both out there, it might help both of them. So it's going to be very interesting yeah. to see how it plays out. 
And at five on five, like Kelly McCrimmon, we asked him about how they're going to kind of deploy him. And obviously that's up to Pete DeBoer and there's still a lot of time for them to figure that out. But he did mention there are going to be situations where they play together at five on five and, and, Pete DeBoer did it with Nate Schmidt and Theodore, and those two were split up uh, at five on five. But at times when they were down a goal and they needed some offense, he would put them together. So I think you're going to see a lot. If the Golden Knights are down in games, you're going to see heavy minutes for Petrangelo and Theodore together at five on five. And with the forwards talent they have, that is very, very high. Like that's, that's a super dangerous unit that can put up major points. Yeah. That's just like superstars on the ice all across the board. So do you think it is as simple, though, at five-on-five right now as kind of Martinez, Theodore, and then plugging um, Petrangelo in for Schmidt? Most likely. I I would expect Braden McNabb to be that guy next to Petrangelo just because he's been the top-line guy for the Golden Knights. He's he's solid. I mean, he's not a great player. He's not a game-changer. He's probably not a a number-one-pairing defenseman on most teams, but he just fits with this team, and he's done it for three years, and he's done it well. You look at the defensive numbers for the Golden Knights. He plays the toughest minutes on this team. He uh, now it's going to be even easier for him with a guy like Petrangelo over there. So, and and the the chemistry between Alec Martinez and Shea Theodore was great. Um, and and I think we saw that step in Theodore's game. And I think DeBoer deserves a big uh, a lot of credit for that. And I think Theodore does. But also Martinez had a big part in that. So I would be shocked if they move if they move those two. And if you're going to keep Martinez with Theodore, there's really not another option. I don't see any way Nick Holden's going to go up to that first pairing or a young kid like White Cloud who broke out, but I don't think he's ready for that. So I, I'm pretty confident it's going to be McNabb and Petrangelo on the top unit and then Martinez and Theodore. And They'll use Martinez and Theodore in the more offensive situations, just like they did last year. Now, I don't, I don't like saying sheltered, but a little bit of sheltered minutes for that pairing. Well, when they're that explosive offensively, it makes sense, right? And uh, wow. Martinez has just been so under the radar his entire career, and he fits so well with Theodore last year. Their numbers together were just terrific. So uh, I want to talk a little bit to you about just covering the Golden Knights. I mean, this must be the most fun team in hockey to cover. I mean, every year they do something crazy. I mean, 2018, they trade for Max Pacioretty. 2019, they trade for Mark Stone. Then they go out and trade for Robin Lander. Now they sign Alex Petrangelo. They seem to be a favorite to win the Stanley Cup every year. It must be a blast just covering this team. Just also a lot of work, though. It is. It's man. It's I. I always joke with my editors. Like if nothing else, it's always interesting in Vegas. There's never any. It feels like there's never anything going on in the league that Vegas isn't like right in the middle of. Um, and like even before you mentioned all the trades they've made and all like they signed Paul Stasny. He was one of the bigger free agents that year. But even before that, like they were trying to trade for Eric Carlson for a while and just couldn't quite get the deal done before he ended up going to San Jose. It seems like every big fish that's been available in the NHL since they've been a team, they've been in on them. And then you add in the fact that like they were the favorite to be a bubble city at first before it ended up going up to Canada because of the COVID conditions. But like, it seems like they are in the middle of everything. So yeah, no complaints for me. It makes my job easier. Uh, there's always something interesting to talk about with this team. Uh, lots of drama, just the way their seasons have ended too, like on the ice. There's been tons of drama from the Stanley Cup, obviously the Miracle Stanley Cup run. That's like something you make a movie out of. And then the the insane ending up in San Jose in year two uh, with the five minute major and the overtime and and all that and then this year obviously another deep playoff run uh, that ended to a really good Dallas team so yeah it's it's been a ton of fun covering this team the expansion process in itself and just building a hockey community out here has been fun um, I couldn't ask for anything more it's been great yeah like it's just so crazy to think that they went from this team that everybody thought was going to be dog shit for a decade to like in the Stanley cup finals. And now literally 
Like they're so cutthroat. They're like, we want every big player. We want to go out and get everybody. And they're not really worried about how they make it happen. I mean, trading Stastny, trading Schmidt, like they're getting it done. They're making moves. They want to win a cup right away. And it's been just so exciting to see. Uh, you mentioned Paul Stastny. They had to trade Stastny to make room for the Petrangelo signing. Um, that leaves a big hole as a sec- second line center. Is that just as simple as pug- plugging Cody Glass into that spot and hoping it works? Yeah, that's that's the big downside to all of this. And if they would have been able to do it without losing Paul Stasny, I think we'd all feel a lot different about this team. We'd be saying, wow, this team is the like overwhelming favorite to win the Western Conference. And they're right up there with Tampa and Boston to win the Stanley Cup. But I think it's not, it doesn't quite feel that way because of that center depth that they lost. And, and I just wrote a story yesterday about they, I mean, they have the 30th, they're 30th in the league in caps spent towards centers. It's basically William Carlson and then a bunch of, I mean, Chandler Stevenson just made a decent deal where he's making a little over 2 million, but they don't have much after that. And uh, you mentioned Cody Glass. I think in an ideal world, if, if you, Ask George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer, what do you want to happen? I think Cody Glass between Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone is probably the ideal fit. Um, I think you can bump William Carlson back between Marcia So and Smith, and, and those three have been great for three years now. Off, on and off, they've kind of been moving them in and out. And then you let your, your first pick in franchise history, the kid that they have the most hope for of all their prospects, let him play between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And, and it's hard to not be good between those two. And like we saw Chandler Stevenson did it really well when they first traded for him from Washington. He was very good between those two. Uh, his numbers were phenomenal. But I think in an ideal world, it's Cody Glass. And I think they're going to give him that chance. And then if he can't do it, whether it's he, he had a lot of injury issues in his rookie year, if he, if he can't stay on the ice or if he's just not producing or if they don't think he's maximizing their top two wingers, maybe they end up going to Chandler Stevenson. And I think that's probably the backup plan. And then you can play Cody Glass maybe on that third line with Alex Tuck and Nick Waugh, just have a really young, fast, powerful line. I think that would be good too. But I think the ideal situation is Cody Glass blossoms in that line and becomes a legitimate NHL producer. And then you've still got plenty of talent, like I mentioned, for that third line to still be dangerous. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot to like about Cody Glass's game. He's one of the better prospects in the NHL. And you mentioned it. There's no better place to make your way in the NHL than next to Max Pacioretty, next to Mark Stone. Just two absolute workhorses. Uh, I think Cody Glass, if it works, could have just an absolutely ridiculous season. And if they can turn Chandler Stevenson into what they turned Chandler Stevenson into for a little bit of last year. I have no reservations about saying Cody glass is going to be a pretty good player this season. Yeah. And the thing is, I think a lot of people just because of the position Mark stone plays, this feels weird that like, Oh, they don't have a center between Mark stone. But like at the same time, if you had Sidney Crosby at center and you put some, random rookie on his wing everyone would be saying oh that's a smart move Crosby will carry his game he'll he'll be defensively responsible he'll he'll control the play and just let that young winger use his talent Mark Stone even though he's a right wing he's a center I mean he does everything but take face-offs he is winning the puck back he's winning all the board battles he's controlling the neutral zone he controls play when he's in the game like I said everything except for taking the face-off he's a center so on that line with Patch Reddy and Glass if you put if they if they end up constructing it that way it's like 
it takes so much off of Cody Glass's plate and just lets him use his talent um, in the areas that he's good at. And then he can still have room to grow in the areas that, cause I mean, he's, he didn't even play a full NHL season. He's still super new, but like I said, I think if Mark Stone was the center of that line, nobody would have any questions about Glass being on the wing, but because their positions are reversed, it's, it's a little different. But like I said, Stone is for all intents and purposes, he is a top center. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that. Cause that's a great point. Whenever they put a, a random rookie, even like if you look at the way I've got the lines constructed right now on daily faceoff, it's like Dylan Cousins is going to break into the league on the wing with Eric Stahl and no one seems to bat an eye at it, but Cody Glass, it's like, well, is this going to work? Maybe it's just because um, he's like their first line or whatever. But like you said, Marcia So Carlson Smith, they've been, you know, as effective as a first line regardless. So even if you say they're your second line, it doesn't really matter. It's a ridiculously talented top six. Um, yeah, those two are going to be 1A, 1B. They're going to play equal minutes. It's crazy. Like, we're just going through this lineup right now, and they're so stacked. Like, we got 1A, 1Bs everywhere across the board. Like, no team has 1A, 1Bs. It's usually a clearly defined 1, 2, 3, 4. This team is absolutely loaded top to bottom. And they're loaded in the crease. We thought that maybe Marc-Andre Fleury would get moved this offseason. There was lots uh, of talk about that. Uh, from what I've gathered on Twitter, you're a goalie yourself. So maybe you'll be able to provide a little bit uh, more insight here. What's going on with this whole situation? Uh, they didn't have to move Fleury to get Petra Angelo signed. Now he's there. We saw uh, Robin Lehner start roughly 70% of the games, including the playoffs once he was brought aboard last year. How does this shake out in the regular season? Is this going to still look more like a 50, 50 split? Yeah. Speaking of one, a one B there's another one um, in that they, it's, so I think the way this all happened was I think the plan was to sign Robin Leonard to a long-term extension and trademark Andre Fleury. I really do think that that was what they're going into this offseason. That's what they hope to accomplish. And then they realized that just it was a perfect storm of things to happen for them to not be able to move Mark andre Fleury. You have obviously his $7 million cap hit for two years. That's a huge problem. And that's hard to move in any offseason. But he's such a good player and just the type of guy he is and like who he is and his reputation around the league normally under normal circumstances I think they move that contract fairly easily but you add in the financial uncertainty of the NHL they don't know if they're going to how many fans they're going to be in stands if there are fans the the owners don't know how much money they're going to make so I think even though so you've got the flat cap and the 81 and a half that's hurting a lot of the top teams but there are plenty of teams that aren't close to that cap but what the issue is is that those owners are telling their gms you're not spending to the cap you're spending to the floor because we don't know how much money we're going to make this year so i think that tightens the belts around the league even more and then you add in the fact that this goalie market was insane this year and there was just so many veteran just proven veteran options on the free agent market. Plus there was like Matt Murray was available for trade. There was just so many goalies. So you add in all those factors and the Golden Knights just simply weren't able to move him. Like they could have, if they would have given up two first round picks, but that's, that would be ridiculous to, to trade someone, a starting goalie who could lead them to a cup and give them two first round picks like that's So basically the Golden Knights backed themselves into a corner of, we couldn't, they, they couldn't move him. And now they're kind of painting it as like, yeah, we actually think it's a better idea to have both goalies. I don't necessarily buy that, but I do think it's going to help them in the regular season, especially if it's super compressed the way we're expecting it to. You're having tons of back-to-backs, a lot of uh, three games and four nights. They're playing five games a week. And Kelly McCrimmon mentioned, he's like, I think you you look at the the prospects of a compressed schedule and it doesn't really hit you. But once you're living it once you're in that schedule and you're playing five games a week those goalies are going to be glad that they're not playing the majority of the starts and I don't know if it's going to be 50 50 but it's probably going to be close I would say 60 40 um 
Leonard getting the majority of the starts, but there's also the, the other factor into this that, that maybe it was a good thing they didn't move Marc-Andre Fleury because Robin Leonard just had shoulder surgery and, and they don't expect it to be serious. They said they, they, they think he's going to be back for camp. They don't even know when camp is, but they said he's going to be back for camp. And if he's not able to be back for camp or if he's just getting into like getting onto the ice when camp starts, you don't want to have this guy come off shoulder surgery and then play him five days a week for the next two months. That just can't be good. I'm not a doctor, but that can't be good. Um, and when you've got a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been a starter his whole career, he's a workhorse. It's like, if we need to give Robin Leonard the first month of the season off, just play the crap out of Fleury and then let this guy come back when he's a hundred percent ready. You just, just handed this guy a five-year deal worth 25 million. You don't want to mess up his shoulder in the first year of that. So I think while maybe this wasn't exactly how they planned it, I think it's going to end up working out. And then who knows, maybe they, maybe they, maybe Flurry plays really well for the first half of the season and a contender either has a goalie go down to injury or they, maybe a team like Carolina who is confident in its goalies. I don't know how Carolina is confident in their goalies. I'm not, I don't think anyone other than the Hurricanes are, but maybe a team like that realizes halfway through the year, like we need a goalie. Like we, we have a team that's able to win a Stanley cup. We need a goalie. Maybe, they end up moving Flurry at the deadline and using that space to fill in that center depth if it's not working out. Like if Cody Glass isn't performing the way they want him to, if Chandler Stevenson goes back to being a fourth line center like he was in Washington, maybe they can make that move midway through the season. So I think there are options, but I, I expect it to be a pretty even split with, like I said, maybe Flurry. For, for the people listening that are fantasy focused, I know that's a big thing on you guys' site. Maybe, maybe Flurry is, is worth a lot more early in the year if Leonard isn't quite ready. Yeah, and it's such a good problem to have. And we've seen a lot of teams in the NHL transition towards this 1A, 1B situation more so than they haven't lately. And Laner's kind of a guy who's been in that situation for the majority of his career. Um, obviously, when you get to the playoffs, you'd like to ride one goalie. But it is a good problem to have. And I think the real where the real issue would be is if this team wasn't good, if you're paying your goalies $12 million and the lineup's terrible, then there would be, that would be an issue, but they are paying their goalies $12 million and they've still built one of the best lineups in hockey. So it doesn't, it's not that big of an issue when you're that good still. So I think it's, I think if they're splitting time during the regular season and then they figure it out in the playoffs, I'm sure Marc-Andre Fleury's, you know, kind of ready to ride the pine again, if, it, if that's the way it uh, works out. But um, it would be interesting too, if it gets towards uh, the playoffs or gets towards the trade deadline and maybe who knows some of this uncertainty is lifted. Maybe there are fans in the stands and owners aren't feeling uh, as, you know, uptight. They might say, okay, you know what? This is our chance. Let's go get Marc-Andre Fleury. Let's do it. Um, the other question is, Let's say he stays in Vegas. Does Marc-Andre Fleury get picked in the expansion draft again? Like, is he going to be oh. the first goalie to get picked twice? <laughs> if he stays in Vegas, he definitely isn't because Vegas is uh, exempt from the expansion. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're right. So, when, right. yeah, when Foley uh, paid the $500 million expansion fee to come into the league, part of the agreement was when we expand from 31 to 32, you won't be part of the expansion draft. So, the Golden Knights are sitting pretty right now. If Now, if Flurry gets traded somewhere, then maybe a team is saying, you know what, let's rent this guy for this, this playoff run. Let's try to win a Stanley Cup here. And then, worst case scenario, we just give him to Seattle. <laughs> like, that, it would be, as, as someone who's gotten to know Flurry extremely well over the last two years. I hope that doesn't happen to him because I don't want the guy to have to move three more times. But it, it definitely would be an interesting storyline if Flurry is the one who ends up going to Seattle. Um, but as, as long as he's in Vegas, he's, he's safe from that. I always forget that they're ex exempt from the expansion draft because it's just like they're so good. And then the fact that they don't have to lose anybody just seems so unfair. But it makes sense. They're so brand new. 
that is kind of an interesting twist. Like if maybe it is just a one-year rental and then you're like, I don't have to worry about the $7 million cap hit next year because Seattle probably takes him. It adds a different wrinkle to the potential of him being a rental um, here at the deadline. Do you have anything else to add about the Vegas Golden Knights before I let you go? No, I think we covered it all. This team is this team's going to be really good. I, I expect them to be a little lower scoring um, just because of the system Pete DeBoer runs. Um, I remember when the Golden Knights hired him, um, t- talking to Sharks people and like, getting Sharks fans tweeting me, um, everyone was saying like, welcome to two to one wins every night. And the Golden Knights have been a more up, especially under Gerard Glant, they were a more up-tempo, high-flying team. And when Pete DeBoer first took, took over, they didn't change much, but that was because he took over in the middle of the season. He didn't really have any time to implement it. I was very surprised by how different they played in the playoffs compared to the way they played in the regular season. In the playoffs, they were a much more possession-based team. They weren't in transition. They, they kind of held the puck in the offensive zone, cycled it around, generated offense from the point, and I think Petrangelo's going to that. But I do think if you're for, – just for fantasy players out there, I don't expect the Golden Knights to be in these – five, four, five, one games like they have been as much. I still think that happens, but I do think they're going to be a little controlled, a little more low scoring games uh, this upcoming year, just because of a systematic change in the way they play. Yeah. They were high scoring in the playoffs because they'd go down three, nothing and then have to storm back in the third period. Right. Every night. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Jesse, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us and all your insight on the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, maybe we'll have you back again in the near future uh, when the season starts and we can talk a little bit more about Vegas. Thanks again and uh, have a great week. Definitely. Thanks for having me anytime. All right. I am now joined by Bagged Milk of Oilers Nation. Bagged Milk, how's it going, buddy? Doing very well, my friend, although I did see the itinerary of what you want to talk about. So my good mood may disappear in a moment. <laughs> Well, when you're talking about the Oilers, isn't it always good news? Yes. Excellent news all the time for this team. No matter what, it's been fun to be an Oilers fan for the last decade. Speaking of good news, I just saw on Twitter, Oilers Nation, uh, you guys just announced that the Oilers and Chris Russell are nearing an extension. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's an interesting one. We have to, we have to see uh, Elliot Friedman saying it sounds like a one-year extension. Okay, so that makes sense. I need to see where the money's at because his $4 million cap hit, what it is in year four of his contract, it's just, that's way too much. If it's 1.5, then you can eat it. You can, you know, you can deal with that. If it's somewhere around that ballpark, then I think it's fine. He's a serviceable NHL defenseman. He was just overpaid. And that was always the problem with Russell. So it's going to be interesting to see what the money actually comes out to. And by the time that this comes out, we'll probably have that answer, but I don't know. I think it's interesting, but it's also could be a move dealing with the Seattle expansion and having to have a, you know, a legit number of NHL options available for Seattle to pick. So there could be something there as well. Yeah. I mean, the way that every, all these signings have been going throughout the off season with the flat cap, everybody's been coming in low. So maybe it is a good time to sign somebody like Chris Russell to maybe like a $1.5 million deal or something like that. And, you know, just kind of kick the, kick the can further down the road. Uh, Speaking of flat cap and COVID uh, we had a little bit of news start of the off season that Connor McDavid was diagnosed with COVID. Obviously we just heard that he is uh, clear, good to go, but with how deadly this disease has been uh, across North America, that's got to be a little bit concerning when you hear that as an Oilers fan, how did Oilers nation handle that news? I mean, just 
unsurprisingly, everybody was concerned for him. You know, this is also at the same point, this is also an athlete in the prime of his life in better physical condition than I could ever dream to be. So you would think that he would get through it and he did, but of course there was concern. Nobody wants anybody to get contract coronavirus. So it was a worrisome. Um, it wasn't crazy worrisome because of, you know, the kind of shape he's in, but at the same point, we don't know if there's going to be any long lasting effects to it. And we have to hope there's not. And I hope Connor's okay. The statement says he is, and that's what we got to hope for as Oilers fans. And just as a person going forward, because like I said, you don't want anybody to get sick anyway. Um, let alone the superstar on your team. But, you know, it happened a few times earlier in the summer, right before the Oilers, or uh, right before the NHL went back to the return to play. A guy like Austin Matthews comes to mind, and he bounced back, and he played in the playoffs, and everything was fine. So that's what I'm hoping for for Connor as well. But, again, we'll just have to wait and see, and we'll hope that nobody else catches this thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right, that's enough COVID talk. We've all had enough of that over the last half of a year. Uh, not so good news for Oscar Clefbaum. Obviously, Connor McDavid's over COVID. Oscar Clefbaum seems to be just kind of entering what could be a very long injury process. It sounds like arthritis in his shoulder. What have you heard that, you know, fantasy owners could maybe cling to or Oilers fans can cling to as a glimmer of hope with Oscar Clefbaum in 2021? I mean, I don't know if there's much good news about this in terms of whether he's in your fantasy t- on your fantasy team or if you're an Oilers fan because this is a guy who plays the most minutes in all situations for the Oilers. They could very well lose him for the entire year, and there's no way to put it other than this is a devastating blow for the Oilers. Losing Oscar Kleffbaum, their best defenseman, um, he's not a number one, but I would say he's, you know, he's a top-pairing defenseman for sure no matter which team you are losing that guy potentially for the full year is going to suck and it's going to hurt. And they're going to have to really get some guys stepping up to fill that hole. And in terms of his health and long-term health, I hope that whatever this break is for Clefbaum, that it helps him recover and get back to health. Because at the end of the day, he's still a 27 year old guy with a lot of life ahead of him. So you don't want, you know, something as important as a shoulder to really affect the rest of his life. So it's going to be an interesting story to follow along, but as an Oilers fan is obviously devastating. This is a big blow, a tough one. And it also kind of makes sense why the Oilers would probably extend a guy like Russell because they need a stop gap in the interim because who knows whether he's going to miss half a year, a full year, I mean, we don't even know what the next season's going to look like as it is. So there's a possibility that Clefbaum won't be around for the entire season. And that, that hurts both on the fantasy side and as an Oilers fan. So speaking of replacing a guy um, like Clefbaum, the Oilers signed Tyson Berry to a one-year contract this offseason. Tyson Berry obviously coming off a bit of a disappointing year in Toronto. Uh, I had tweeted when it happened, I really like the signing for both Berry and the Oilers. I think that this is a really good opportunity for him to build his value back up and hit the market again next season. This is a guy who's going to get to play as the quarterback on a top power play in the NHL last year. So an opportunity for him to build his value back up by just racking up uh, insane amount of points while playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but also uh, helps kind of fill in that gap uh, with Clefbaum out and sort of bridges the gap from maybe now to Evan Bouchard being ready next year. What do you think about the signing of Tyson Berry and what it means for his fantasy value? I really liked the signing for everything that it went into it. It's a one-year deal. 
He's betting on himself. It's low money, 3.75, which is val- which is a nice value contract for the Oilers. And like you said, it gives him a chance to rebuild the reputation that he has as an offensive dynamo on the back end. And I think exactly like you said, the Oilers had the best power play in the NHL last year, and he's going to add a different angle to it. And while I talked about Clefbaum kind of being an anchor on the power play for the Oilers last year, he doesn't have the same offensive instincts necessarily that Barry does. So it could add a different flavor to a power play that's already lethal. And I think for a guy like Barry, if he's looking to get more money next year, be it in Edmonton or elsewhere, this is a great chance for him to bet on himself, put up some points and show that he can still do it. And the last year in Toronto was maybe an off year as opposed to what people are used to when it comes to the points he puts up. I think that it's a great fit for both sides. I like the bet for both himself to bet on himself on a one-year deal and for the Oilers to get a guy who's going to be motivated to have a good season. And I think it's going to be great to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I mean, maybe not necessarily in his own zone at five on five, but like that's, you got to deal with it. You got to deal with the ups and downs. And I think with a guy like Barry, there's a lot, the the return on, uh, on investment here, the potential is very high. Yeah. I mean, if he's making less than Chris Russell, then that's got to be a good thing, right? I mean, you would have to think so. But again, we'll have to see what these numbers come out on on this extension. But going into this year, yes, on the cap, at least he will be lower than Chris Russell's four million bucks. I think people are so quick to forget, too. I mean, like in his final two years in Colorado, this guy was uh, sixth in the NHL among defensemen in points and tied for third in power play points. Like he was ridiculously good. And everybody thought this was such a great pickup for the Leafs last year. It didn't really work out. Um, And then when I tweeted that he, you know, this is a great opportunity for him to be on PP1 with all these talented guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl. Everyone's like, well, he was on the top power play in Toronto, which wasn't necessarily the case. He was sometimes and sometimes he was not. So I think that in... Uh, Edmonton, he really has no challengers, especially with Clefbaum out uh, for that top spot. He's going to be a staple on that top unit throughout the entire uh, season, I would imagine. It's, it's, it really is his job to lose on power play one at this point. Yes, a guy like I could see a guy, if he keeps progressing, I could see Ethan Bear kind of getting some of those minutes because he's got a big shot. He's right-handed. I could see that maybe, maybe Darnell Nurse gets a look up there every now and then. But like I said, this is, this is Barry's job to lose in terms of manning that quarter, uh, that power play. And I think he's a great fit for it. And I also, I'm really intrigued to see how he does under Dave Tippett because his production in Toronto did increase significantly after they made the coaching change from Babcock to Sheldon Keefe. So maybe it just wasn't a fit in philosophy with how Babcock wanted to play. I mean, you're a Red Wings fan, you know, what Babcock's like. He was there for a thousand years. So maybe it just wasn't a fit. Maybe that's this, that's kind of what the Oilers are also banking on. That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. I'm not expecting a perfect player. I'm not expecting him to come up and put up 80 points or something, but I do expect him to produce on a power play that was dominant and be able to give a different look that maybe teams aren't necessarily expecting. Speaking of not being a very good fit, uh, Kyle Turris definitely was not a good fit in Nashville. He ends up getting bought out. The Oilers signed him on the cheap. Uh, This is a guy who ended up with 23 points in 55 games in 2019, just 31 points in 62 games a season ago. Uh, The Oilers have been so desperate for a third-line center for seemingly forever. Uh, They find that in Kyle Turris. What he, obviously he's not going to be this elite offensive producer on that third line. Um, probably not even fantasy relevant, but for, for the Oilers, what does he bring to the table? Well, first of all, the, the, the thing that the Oilers desperately needed is a, a centerman who's right-handed. They didn't have any, they had Gaetan Haas doing it, but like 
Gaetan Haas is your fourth line center, maybe, but he also spent a lot of time on the wing. So I think that checks off a box there. I think that Terse is also in a good spot because he doesn't have the pressure necessarily to produce as he maybe did in, in Nashville. He was paid like a second line center in Nashville. So they needed him to produce like that. But when you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl playing ahead of you, that really is going to ease the pressure on him to have to produce offensively. And like last year, he had 31 points, like you said. And in terms of the Oilers depth chart, that's still up there in terms of point productions from forward. So they need guys who can chip in with offense. I think that Turris is a good fit. Again, a low cost, reasonably low term deal for him. It's a good bet. He already got his bag from Nashville. He's getting paid for the next, what is it? Eight seasons or something Mm -hmm. like that from the predators. So I think he's coming in here in a spot where he is in a place to succeed. He doesn't have a big contract. The pressure will be low. He's also got two guys ahead of him that have the ability to put up 100 points, and that probably is going to make life a little bit easier for him as well. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, right? So he's going to be going out there and facing the bottom sixes of most of these teams, Connor and Leon eating up all the you know, the, the tougher matchups. He's going to be getting gravy matchups throughout the course of the season, and that's just something the Oilers haven't had is a guy that can actually produce in that spot. Like Their, their bottom six for the last couple of years has just been you know, a black hole in terms of offense, just really haven't been able to get it going. And when you look at, you know, the upgrade from uh, Riley Sheehan to Kyle Turris, like that's just massive. Well, I was going to say like, you know, Riley Sheehan, he was our third line center last year. He was in Detroit. Mm -hmm. There was that magical season when he almost like went the entire year without scoring or whatever it ended up being. So in terms of five on five offense, he was a black hole. Like you said, there was nothing coming from Shan. He was a great penalty killer, which is going to be interesting to see how the Oilers adjust to that. Cause tourists doesn't kill penalties, mm-hmm. but he will upgrade the offense at five on five. And that is a desperate area of need that the Oilers have had, not just going into this upcoming season, but it's, it's historical need as well. So I've got high hopes for him, but I also, again, I think that he's in a good spot, not a lot of pressure on him, but no matter what, he's probably going to be an upgrade on what they had there before. For sure. And one last thing about the Fords, Jesse Pugliarvi returns uh, after just an absolutely tremendous season in Finland, 53 points in 56 games off to a hot start so far this year Two, uh, five goals, two assists in five games. So Pugliarvi returns. Um, I think the biggest question, and obviously you're not the head coach of this hockey team, so it might be difficult for you to answer, but is Pugliarvi going to get a look with McDavid? Because the talk all the time is we need to get McDavid some wingers. They didn't do that this year. Uh, you know, they bring back Ennis, but now Pugliarvi returns. Is he a guy that could play on that top line uh, this season? Well, first of all, I want to start off by saying the Oilers should ask me for my coaching advice because I've got excellent theories and ideas. But <laughs> in terms of the question, he's in a great spot too because even if he starts, say, on the third line right wing and he's playing with Turris, there's a skilled centerman that's kind of going to help him along. But at the other side of your question is he going to play with Connor I can't see a scenario where eventually he doesn't get a look with McDavid last year the highest scoring right winger for the Edmonton Oilers was Zach Cassian for with 34 points that's not a very high bar to reach yes Kaylor Yamamoto probably would have beat that if they had finished off the entire year but now there's some competition on that right side that didn't exist there anymore now Pugliari comes into a situation where Yes, he's a former fourth overall pick, and we all know the pressures that go into it, but he doesn't, doesn't necessarily have the pressure to produce at that level. Could I see him getting to 34, 35 points in his first year back? Absolutely, I could. If he gets, if he gets some time with Connor and he can figure out how to play with Connor, then yes. Maybe he also gets some time with Leon. 
there's like he's got really good options in that top nine to play with at center that I think that this is going to be a really nice return for him. And both from the Oilers' perspective and Puliari's perspective, a two-year deal at 1.175 or whatever it is that he locked in at, that's great value for the Oilers. So if he can come in and put up 35-plus points, maybe 15 goals, I think that that's a really nice return to him to the NHL because, yes, he's ripping it up in Finland. We all know it. But we're comparing apples to oranges in a sense because the Finnish, the Finnish league, while it is a good pro league and he's playing against men and he's developing and all of that, it's not the NHL. So there's plenty of questions to see how he fits in. He's saying all the right things. The organization's saying all the right things, but now it's a matter of seeing how well he can actually execute on all the work he's putting in. I've got high hopes for him. I've got plenty of time for this player. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. There's a lot to like there. And I think even if he is stuck on the third line, not stuck, but even if he is playing in the middle six, as opposed to maybe on the top line with Connor, he's going to be in a good spot. And I think he's going to help. Yeah. I think the one thing that you pointed out that is so important is there's options now before it was kind of like Zach Cassian or Josh Archibald. And it's not hard to be better than the other one on any given night. If Josh Archibald goes out and does Josh Archibald things, doesn't have a good game. It's like, well, shit, now we got to go back to Zach Cassian. Now they actually have a kid that can score. And if Cassian's not getting it done, if Archibald's not getting it done or whoever's up there, they have a kid that can score and present Connor with that option. And hopefully it works out. Well, what's also going to be interesting is how other coaches, let's say just for the, the purpose of the conversation that Pugliarvi does slot in with Connor at some point this season. How are coaches going to play the Oilers if that is how things look? Let's say the top line, and I'm just throwing things out there. Let's say it's Ennis, Connor, Pugliarvi is one line, and then you've got Nuge, Dreisaitl, Yamamoto as your second. Who's getting your top pairing? Because the one that does not has got the ability to torch you. The sure. Leon, Nuge, Yamamoto line was one of the best lines in the NHL after New Year's. So coaches are going to have a different, an interesting decision to make. And when you've got Connor McDavid on your line, that guy can make magic out of nothing. So there's opportunity here to put up some points. And I think that they will, or I think that Pugliarvi will, no matter where he's at. And like you said, there's options now, which as an Oilers fan, this is one of the few times I've actually seen options in the top nine on the wings. Elite wingers know, I will absolutely say that that's not the case, but there are options that are better than, hey, can Josh Archibald moonlight on the first line for a couple of games because we need a body up there? Like, this is a different situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, quick question. Who scores more goals this season? James Neal, Zach Cassian, Tyler Ennis, Jesse Pugliarvi. That's a really good question because it's going to be interesting to see how Tippett doles out his power play time. Last year, James Neal did very, very well on the power play. I mean, he just parks himself up front. He's got a big body and good hands. And Connor, Leon, or Nuge will find him. And they did. So I think it's going to come down to power play time. But to answer the question, I could see Neal getting the most goals because he'll probably get the most time on the power play. Right. And I think that when you're playing with Connor, Leon, and Nuge up there, all three of those guys can move the puck around, plus adding Tyson Berry in the mix. He's, he's going to have some options, and I think that if it's him in, parked in front of the net, then he's going to get the most out of, those, out of those guys. Very interesting. All right, there's been a lot of optimism so far during this conversation. Now let's go <laughs> to a little bit more darkness. The, the Oilers seemed like they were in the hunt for a goalie this offseason. There has never been more goalies available, ever. I mean, you've got Holpe, Markstrom, Matt Murray was being traded, Marc-Andre Fleury was being shopped. 
everybody you could imagine was on the free agency market. We saw the Oilers are going heavy after Markstrom. He ends up in Calgary. And then Edmonton circles back and re-signs Mike Smith. They got none of the guys on the free agency market. Go back to Mike Smith. So now they're looking at Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith for another season. Is this just going to be the detriment of this team? Like, are they... They're built. They've got Connor. They've got Leon. They they could, you know, do some damage in the playoffs. They could go to the finals if they get some goaltending. Are they screwed because they've well, got I mean, Koskinen and Smith for one more year? I mean, when you get the chance to bring back a duo that had a sub-900 save percentage in the play-in rounds, you got to take it, right? Uh, that's That's endlessly frustrating to me because like you said this if you're ever shopping for a goalie this was probably the season to get something done so to have that same duo back is very puzzling and confusing to me even the contract that they gave mike smith at a 1.5 million base plus opportunity for 500k bonuses is just confusing to me i just don't see how they had to even give him that much who are the people offering mike smith more money than that i just i can't see it he's going to be 39 years old he to be fair, he had stretches where he played very, very well, especially in 2020 before the, the pandemic pause. But I don't like it necessarily as an option. I'm glad it's only one year. And I hope that Dave Tippett rolls with Miko Koskinen because he was far and away the more consistent of the two. He had a 917 save percentage last season, which is respectable. Mm-hmm. But the problem was he would go on absolute heaters for a month or two and you're like, wow, this guy is legit. And then he would just fall off the face of the earth for another two, three weeks. And then it caused all kinds of uncertainty between the pipes again. And it's going to be interesting to see how this actually plays out. I would desperately, and I'm hoping to be wrong on Mike Smith this year. I just, I just can't see how I am. And it's frustrating that there were so many legit options out there. And this is the tandem we ended up with, but I don't know. I don't know what the. I don't know what the plan was. I just don't know how many guys they spoke to. Maybe they were just way too high on their asks because, like you said, they were they were chasing Markstrom early in the day on free agency day, only to have him go down the road to Calgary. But then at the same point, I almost wonder if they dodged a bullet on that one because there was word that came out that they were looking at seven years, five million per, and that's a lot of term for a guy who's going to be thirty-one when the season starts. Got a little bit of history of knee surgery as well, so. Maybe they dodged a bullet and maybe it's a blessing in disguise. But at the same point, this is a tough sell. This is a tough sell around Oilers Nation. If you look at the comment section from the day that Mike Smith re-signed, it was, it was, there was not a bunch of happy people there. There was, a lot, there was a segment of fans that were just, well, let's wait and see how this goes. And I think that's the only option really. But if you're a fantasy owner, I wouldn't be looking at the Oilers goaltending situation as a lock on anyone's team by any means. This is a major question mark. Add in Clefbaum out, biggest minute eater on the team. Young guys are going to have to step on, up on defense. The forwards are better, but, I mean, the defense and the goaltending is still a question mark, and that's going to be a very, very sizable question for the Oilers going into this upcoming season. I think the worst part about it was all these other free agents seem to land into their division. I mean, you still have Vegas. They have probably the best goaltending tandem in hockey. Edmonton, not so much. And then Calgary gets Markstrom. Vancouver gets Holpe to go with Demko. Ridiculously good duo as well. Arizona already got a good duo. Anaheim's got John Gibson. It's a lot of good goaltending in that Pacific division. Edmonton kind of just seemed to miss the boat. But I do tend to agree. I wrote about the Flames this morning. That's a hefty contract for a guy who's going to be 31 this year. Um, He's never posted a save percentage above 920 in his career. I mean, 
Vancouver was terrible last year. They're, defensively, they were terrible. Um, so it's hard to post a 9.20 save percentage when you're facing as many high-scoring chances as he did. So maybe he does that uh, for Calgary and would have done that for Edmonton. But it's uh, we'll have to see. Maybe they go out and make something happen still. I highly, highly doubt it, though. Uh, but anyways, um, thank you so much, Bag, for joining us. Good luck with the Chris Russell signing <laughs> over at Oilers Nation. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the Oilers before you head out? Yes. Please be better. I've waited so long. I've wasted my prime drinking years on a team that's been horrible. I want to have happy beers, Brock. I want to have happy beers, not sad beers. I've had enough sad beers. And uh, the bright side, they'll probably be better than the Red Wings. Oh, I'd, I'd say they will be for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so hard to get down on the Oilers because at the end of the day, you still have Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, two of the best players in the entire world. It's just a matter of making it work around them. And, you know, maybe they found a couple pieces this year to be a little bit better, but I still think they might need a little bit more to get to that, uh, that final. I agree. But at the same point, they have those two guys and it's time to respect their careers because this is a finite resource that they have and they have to take advantage of it. Yes, they can't miss out on the on these two players, uh, that's for sure. But uh, Bag Milk, as always, nice talking to you, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime. Good talking to you, buddy. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.